from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos with Dave and DB. Hey everyone, how's it going this week? Uh, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, hanging out Portland, Oregon, hit with uh, 8 inches of snow, 10 inches of snow in some parts. And, uh, yeah, down at uh, Swan Island, uh, due to the uh, due to the I-5 corridor, you didn't get hit with uh, too much snow down there, I understand. Not too much. But Not too much. That's really too good. Much. But uh, we have a... We have a... Uh... A river. Yep. Which is both good and bad when it comes yeah, to that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so, uh, this week, we're not going to mess around too much with local stuff because I've been stuck indoors all week. Um, and you've been busy with goats all week with everything yes. coming up. And, uh, yeah, we're we're talking about the Narcotic Manuscripts. We've got... Uh, part two with Scott Glancy, and we're talking about the 2004 Hellboy movie. So, Dave, I tricked you. Is there a favorite BC you have in uh, the uh, Cthulhu Mythos? Okay, so real quickly, yes, we'll do that, but stop. Are yes. we doing Hellboy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you I, think I thought we were, we were doing? doing the thing. That's okay. Oh, that's next week because we switched switch. uh, Alien and the thing oh, around. Uh, oh, Alien. I thought we just moved it back. Okay, I can come up with Hellboy. I can cover stuff with Hellboy. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, you can cut that part out. All right. Oh, so I what will. is what is my favorite of my um, oh uh, Cthulhu Beastie? Yeah. Well, to answer that question, it's like he asked me, "What is my favorite food?" And if it's Tuesday, I will probably say tacos. Yeah. And if you ask me Friday, I'll probably say lasagna. So in general, I'm going to say, so my answers can change, but I'm going to say the Migo. Okay. All right. I'm going to say, for me, it's generally Sathagua. Sometimes it's Rantigoth, but generally it's Sathagua or some sort of underground dweller, some sort of like someone who's going to end up in a museum. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, whether it be Sean or Fawn or, you know, what, one, of the, one, one of those boyos. Uh, and, 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 and also, I'm, I'm a big fan of disliking the Yithians because they call themselves the Great Race. The only thing that's great about them is they have the ability to take over people's minds and take over huge races. And anyway. So, so well, and I know this is not what we're talking about as sure. I talk about it, but they also seem to have this sort of way to get back. And maybe it's travel through time. And maybe it's just that they tell us that, this, that it's true, that we accept it, but that the... Uh, uh, hounds of Tenderlust don't seem to chase them. So I think that's kind of a, a superpower. But I think maybe they we're... move through time differently than the Hounds of Tenderlust. Exactly. But I think that it's, um, and it could also be um, propaganda. True, true. Very true, very true. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I think uh, time travel involving the Hounds of Tenderlust also involves uh, moving multidimensional while the Yithians are just kind of like time space hopping. They're not using extra dimensional space to move around. They're just like blasting their consciousness. No, there's no physicalness involved. It's just this mental energy that they're sending. But one thing that Rantagoth, the uh, Sathagwa, and the Yithians all have in common is this book called the Narcotic Manuscripts. Um, the original, like all Yithian books, is finely folded metal on top of finely folded metal. That's almost like a, a, a puzzle written in the Aklo language. And that's that's what we have here. We have the Nicotic manuscripts. And at some point in time, some of this has been carved into stuff and there's fragments of it. And I mean, what do you know about the Nicotic manuscripts, Dave? Well, one thing that's kind of unique about the the manuscripts here yeah, yeah. is that they are they become, of course, translations, but they are the writings of an alien race. True. So we get all the other things: the Necronomicon, the Book of Yod, uh, Revelations of uh, of Glaki. Mm -hmm. They may come originally from an alien race yeah but they're basically imparted through a human mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. humans have to translate this book but it's different among the other uh tomes of the cthulhu mythos and that this is their direct teaching sure and, yeah and if so and if you're a being of pure mental thought that uh, inhabits human beings slash uh giant plant monsters slash you know future mutant cockroaches mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you really need books well you might need a book that tells you this is the ultimate truth we know of the universe this is who in is in charge this is the hierarchy this is where we're at we're this awesome because we can zap our brains everywhere and we don't have to deal with anything everything we're consequence free we can even like destroy our own our own our own uh civilizations like Roman style and then just jet our brains off somewhere else. And, I mean, and I think I think yeah. though that so I'm thinking even though it is written in their language and in yeah. their style, it's not for them, it's for us. 
It's for us. Okay. I okay. think it's for the human. I mean, and, and we, you know, we could start this heresy religion, but to me, it makes more sense that these are things, even though they're there, they control it. Yes. By controlling it in their language. Yeah. And, and then humans try to copy it mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. putting it in their cave paintings and their their stone tapping. But well, they can control it by, by putting it in their own language and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or control our access to it. Yeah, and what I, I keep trying to say is there was, uh, what, Wingate Peasley? I can't remember who it was exactly, um, who inhabited the body of a uh, great old, uh, not a... Uh, uh, Yithian. Yithian. A, uh, in uh, Shadows Out of Darkness, I believe? No. Shadows Out of Time. Whispered. No, yeah, Shadows Out of Darkness. No, no, uh, sh- uh, I think it's Shadows Out of Time. Shadows Out of Time. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, Shadows Out of Darkness. I think that's uh, sounds like a, a August Derleth story or a uh, Lynn Carter story yeah. or a Sutter Kane story. And um, so, okay. You have this, 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 this uh, guy who switches bodies. And so the humans can easily teach other humans, hey, here's this language. And while the humans in whatever form the Yithians are in at the time, that human can learn the language and then go back and write stuff. So we could have petroglyphs written in Aklo, we can have future stuff written in databases, ACLO. We could have stuff hidden in old video games that's ACLO. We could have ACLO written in bronze. We could have, like, scratched in the back of a monastery. Uh, as, as, as we talked about before, heretical uh, cults, heretical uh, cults against the Catholic Church, against Judeo-Christian beliefs, uh, like, like any kind of, like, heresy uh, could be like from a Yithian nature, and then you have some sort of language that's between two other language that's some sort of like, I don't know, pigeon aclo or something like that. Um, but yeah, 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 no, I, I feel like you can do a lot with like the Nicotic manuscript, you can do a lot with like aclo, and there's even stuff with Ran Tagoth that I, I, I feel like, uh, like. Like if, if if someone's like doesn't have to deal with Ran to Goth directly, but if there's something that's like petrifying people or people are finding like stone statues everywhere and stuff like that, it's like, oh, how did people deal with something like this in the past? You know, or I heard there was something, you know, there's there's old tales of uh, on the Isle of Mu and uh, these 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 uh, pre-human supposed documents anyway. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 got all kinds of stuff. In it, it's it's got a story about Rand to Goth and how to how to fight him. Um, and, and it was it was of course created by Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. And it first appears uh, in uh, the horrors in the horror in the museum. Correct. And then Lynn Carter gets and updates it a little bit and mm-hmm. includes some of the things you said. But you're right; it really starts coming into its own when. Um, Chaosium, uh, Chaosium. Yeah. exactly, and can start using it as tools for role playing games. Yeah, um, and you're right; it's a great MacGuffin, and I think that's sort of where you know they took off. They took off with it 
Um, and if it had not been for chaos, I think it would have been a little bit more faded into obscurity. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that Chaosium sometimes just takes a book name and runs with it and then doesn't realize until later. Or this is something that's happened in the past. It's like the book of Zan should uh, not be something you gain any mythos knowledge from. <laughs> Anything written by Madame Lobotsky should just be thrown away. Um, that's 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 my my hard take. Uh, but there's other books that are just like mentioned briefly and are like given stats for, but it's like, there's there's too many books that have mythos information, in my opinion. It's like, and if all these books are just like all scattered all over the place, it doesn't seem that hard to find mythos information as hard as the stories would make it seem. And, and I, I agree with you. Yeah. Part of that, though, is the availability of information uh-huh. in early 20th century and availability of information in early 21st century. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when Lovecraft wrote, I think it is sort of a more of an idea that there are the sort of the whole of the belief system is is contained in these 20 or 30 books that he and Howard and Augie Derleth are writing about. Yeah. And each has, each is a kind of a, a puzzle piece. Yeah. And the, what prevents it from being widespread knowledge is the limited access to the books. Yeah. But if you had, and of course, you know, writers caveat, the one book that, whatever the main protagonist needs access to mm-hmm. is the one that has the details that you want to have. Yeah. But, but that it makes more sense in the thirties, the 1930s, as opposed to the 2020s, that there would be that limited editions, limited access to the books mm-hmm. would make scarce more, make more information scarce. Sure. And, and I first came across this idea um, in Cthulhu Punk, mm-hmm. where they've got all these books now online. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a more uh, plausible possibility uh, 80, 90 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Um, but I mean, like, overall, the amount of books pertaining to the Cthulhu mythos shouldn't be as numerous as like say chaosium has like in the past they've had like a ton from all the different writers all the people who've wanted to like uh toss in their two bits and i don't think there's anything wrong with like making them for all this different stuff but they don't need to all go into one supplement uh and 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 i think like you just need a couple of books for your story because the Necronomicon, you can use the Necronomicon for a lot of stuff. It's not just a, a recipe book. It's not just a, a stereo manual. It's not just a bestiary. It's not even just a grimoire. No, no, it's it's barely a grimoire. Uh, I, I I I imagine it's yeah, it's it's I yeah, it's a grimoire, but it's uh, I, I I don't imagine it being like mostly a magic book or anything like that. I imagine there's stuff in there that happens to be magic but it's 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 kind of like more about like 
this is all this information that's been compiled from all these different sources. Uh, kind of like how, like there's some books in the 17th century that, well, this is a combination of this, and this has got the seals from this, and this is this book and this book, and then the this is like a thesis on this interpretation of this part of the Bible at the very end, which is my part. And, you know, you'd get these these books like this, and I feel like there's no reason why the Necronomicon couldn't be some sort of collection of of uh, of scholars. And I really feel there's no reason whatsoever that the narcotic fragments couldn't be like um, when Nicotis uh, was finally defeated or was defeated uh, by the, the flying polyps or whatever happened to Nicotis, that Nicotis is no longer around. Um, someone fled with all this information and it made its way into the narcotic fragments. Maybe all that stuff had to be written on a cave wall. Maybe it was all like, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to say. It's uh, pre-Pleistocene records of a of the great race mm -hmm. that were added to pre-human worshippers of Sathagwa by the Vormi and the Nakotic Brotherhood, which is a descendant from the Vormi, and the people of Lomar in the Dreamlands who now have like a complete collection of the the narcotic fragments and you could find it written in case i mean as i said you could find parts of it written on anything depending on where someone took that information to where they flew with that information in their mind and rewrote it all down i mean that 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 could be what happened too um there could be a typesetter in the 16th century an italian typesetter that goes oh man i uh I, 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 I'm, I'm not me anymore. I'm a Yithian. Holy goodness. I have a printing press. I'm going to print out the, uh, the narcotic fragments, uh, in clear Italian. Anyway, I mean, that could happen. <laughs> it may have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, as I joked about before, like uh, written in the code for a video game, like what if you're playing Adventure 2 and you find this room that, you know, doesn't have the author's name, but uh, has some like DARPAnet address on it. And then you go to this DARPAnet address on an old computer and it's the narcotic fragments and, you know, uh, it's it's typed up, but it's in Italian. I don't know why I keep saying Italian, but I, I, I like that. Um, I mean, it's going back to my earlier idea of, oh, yeah, it's this it's this uh, collection of books bound, not in human flesh, but yeah. And I also like the idea of the metal books being found by people and used or like, I don't know, um, found during like World War Two when people are like uh, scrapping stuff and you just come across this like intricate thing of folded metal someone saves it or that's the history of it is it you know pops up in uh world war ii and people are uh, uh salvaging scrap and you know and then it gets handed off to someone else it gets handed off to someone else someone's grandpa keeps it uh you're cleaning it out it's at an estate sale something boom you have the narcotic fragments someone catches or hears word that you even have it and then you have like a bunch of Yithians, you know, in, in, in cloaks and fedoras following you around for who out knows how long. 
Yeah, or you know, maybe someone finds it, they don't understand the writing, yeah, and they melt it down. Yeah. Yeah, but what if they melt it down, it still holds that knowledge somehow, or it's made of a metal that can be unmelted. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean it um it may just have it may have a physical imprint of what the words of it are. But it itself, the metal itself, may be able to transmit that information even when it's melted down into a disc and put onto the side of a, a Voyager. Uh, <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I think there's a lot of stuff that you can do with this this book that's just like, oh, yeah, it's a book that the Ithians made. It's like, yeah, but what's in it? Like. It could be anything from like Yithian souffle, you know, not a souffle with Yithians, but a souffle for Yithians. Uh, it, it it might be like recipes for like, hey, when you're beetles in the future, this is a recipe you're gonna love. Um, it, I mean, it 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 could be stuff about Earth at that period of time, studies of dinosaurs, studies of the of, Necronomicon is a cookbook. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was uh, my to serve man joke. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, no, no. Anytime you have a book, you could have like all kinds of stuff in it. It's 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 just written information, and I don't know. Uh, like yeah. older books didn't just weren't just one subject. Sometimes they were journals or uh, like manifestos or combinations, and had notes that they'd taken on stuff in the in the margins. And you know, that's that's. I highly recommend if you ever have a chance, Dave included, to go to a rare books room, not to actually go and pick at the books, but like look at the books with like someone with cotton gloves and, you know, ask them about like, you know, go on a tour, ask them about their books and their book collection. Uh, if they're free, like at a university or something like that, uh, they're happy to talk to you about this stuff. Um, a, a good keeper of arcane lore should check out the nearest rare books room of any major bookstore or university or college in their area. It's 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 mandatory, I say. Yeah, and I, I no, I absolutely agree with you on that. But I also like the fact that that the pages are made out of this metal. Yeah, it yeah. gives because a Yithian who wrote it, you know, 2,000 years ago, may be reading it 1,000 years in the future. Yep. So you want something that is permanent. You want something that will survive the EMPs in the final days. Yeah, that's why I think it might get scratched into walls. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, you're right. I'd always kind of thought of it as being the human followers doing it, but maybe it was actually the Yithian scratching in the walls because they knew the mountains would survive. Yeah, yeah. Or they just hoped. <laughs> yeah. Be like, man, I hope these elder guys don't find this stuff and read it. That'll be embarrassing if they're reading our diaries. Yeah. Or, you know, they could pop back and say, hey, Bob, I just uh, I went to the cave a thousand years after Cthulhu came in. Go ahead and write it. I... I said I saw it was uh, what you wrote there, so it's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, your spelling sucks. And because of 
how time works for Yithians. It could be a constantly ongoing thing. Um, you know, the reason Yithians send themselves back and forth through time is time is a really long place. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's kind of infinite in both directions. And uh, Yithians didn't uh, begin at the beginning and they didn't end at the end. They're somewhere in between. And I think they're just trying to find out everything or find the perfect place for a civilization for them to exist. So they got to figure out when's the best place to uh, cut into a human, uh, human science and be like, okay, we can't go this far, but we got to take over before this. But we don't want to go here because this happens and we can do stuff on this continent, but we can't do anything on this continent. But if we wait too long, then everything's radioactive or full of bug people that we aren't. Or, you know, it's like if we go back too far, there's nothing. I mean, it's nice and it's fun, but there's no technology. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, maybe Yithians don't want to do all the work to create technology. They have to wait for not only hosts that can hold on to their, you know, uh, that can uh, host their, 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 their consciousness, but also have to be at a certain technological level that maybe humans just haven't gotten to and maybe haven't quite reached. Yeah, and it could almost be like a, almost like a, a day planner. Yeah. Because, yeah. Well, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, I projected it into the future, carved this into the wall, and now that I'm on my mission, I've got to go read what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it could just literally be a schedule and a day planner and a notes. It's like, all right, uh, 1032 CE, uh, sink the Isle of Mu so Gathanathoa doesn't... Uh, I don't know, uh, petrify everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is the plan. And and the other thing is, so we as humans, we tend to think of, you know, the epitome of communication and, and information is electronics. Yeah. But, yeah, they're dealing in things, you know, there's probably mythos creatures that, you know, eat data you know for lunch so yeah they it makes sense that this advanced race would have some sort of more permanent um way to write things down doesn't mean they don't have the other way we know that yeah you know uh shadows out of time that the the cap that people were writing in paper uh mm -hmm. so they had some way to preserve this but maybe the things that are extra important or extra vulnerable to being attacked by some other mythos force are put in these permanent mediums. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Important stuff gets preserved and uh, stuff that maybe just a little bit of a trifle or a recipe or something weird that happens gets written in the margin and then that ends up being something really important or misinterpreted as something really important eons down the line but yeah as i said you can do a lot with the narcotic manuscript and if you want to know more about it it is in the horror in the museum and hp lovecraft's the other gods 
And of course, uh, just look up uh, Lynn Carter did some stuff too, which I can't remember. <laughs> and I think uh, the fragments, which not the manuscript, the fragments, which I think are pretty much the same thing, but just different versions. Yeah. Uh, was in. Um, oh, it. Oh, Polaris. Okay. It's Polaris, and it's also one of the books that are found in uh, F. Paul Wilson's Keep. Okay. That's what sort of ties that story to Lovecraft, is when they find a whole bunch of books like the Necronomicon in the Keep. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And uh, last final thing, uh, most common uh, version, I believe, is uh, uh, actual pieces of parchment in Greek is uh or at least that's how i've played it my game that's how i've played it my game some uh yeah uh like greek like 11th century greek <laughs> exactly all right so that's enough for the narcotic manuscripts um hey dave what did you think of all that cosplay that we saw the other day at uh the uh cosplay convention the uh, fan expo we were at so first of all it's all great yeah and you know what if 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 you are a co if you're a cosplayer and you love it you don't need the most fancy or you know it doesn't have to be the ultimate type of uh costume but for the people who really do go out all out on it I think a lot of them were locked up on COVID, yeah. and that's how they got their their frustrations out. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, I I really haven't done much cosplaying in the last ten years, but it, prior to that, sure. Um, but something I have to say, I'm thinking about doing some cosplay next year for some uh, conventions. I'm not saying what yet, but uh, anyone who is interested in cosplay or is already interested in cosplay, wants better wigs, wants better boots, uniforms, whatnot, why cosplay? We've got a link in the description to save you 20%. And why cosplay? Why not? All right, back to the show. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know in a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. Ha ha. It's not the pod where DB talks forever, ever, ever. No, it's Dave's Corner of the Podcast. Dave's Corner of the Podcast. Dave, everyone. So sort of maybe flip this on, on its head a little bit here. What do you think about, you know, our current time? Do you think this is a, a prime setting for horror? And if so, why or why not? Well, um, it definitely is. Um, all time periods are. I mean, that's the problem with history. Um, it is a it is usually uh, something terrible is happening somewhere. And I, I tend to draw horror from genuine bad things that I know that have happened and, you know, uh, then 
see how much uh, cosmic horror I can paint over the problem to make it worse or make it more compelling. Or if anything, take the sting out of it because sometimes uh, horror is about finding palatable ways of dealing with actual tragedies that um, make them easier to handle because uh, if we throw a supernatural, you know, glaze over the top of it, um, then that puts something between us humans and the, 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 the thing that is creating these travesties, other humans. I mean, it's much more comfortable to believe in the devil made him do it than, um, you know, uh, uh, bad parenting, um, yeah. you know, neuroatypicality, uh, uh, mental illness, um, uh, political grievances, you know, religious fervor could make somebody do horrible things or worse than somebody doing horrible things, make entire nations do horrible things, which is always so much more creepy than the individual, you know. Um, but I, I think this time period has a lot of uh, possibilities. Um, uh, we are certainly on the cusp it feels like of uh, several seismic changes yeah. in, uh, in in the world. There are there are things that are breaking down even harder than they were before. Um, yeah. Russia being one of them. Um, Russia, the wheels are coming off of Russia right now, um, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's hard to tell how this train is going <laughs> to what side of the tracks this thing's going to derail on. Yeah, um, but. Uh, you know, certainly in some ways that horror is even worse than it was during the Cold War because, you know, at least during the Cold War, we always had this idea that there was sort of a room full of dour old, you know... There were rules. B- yeah, b- b- Bolsheviks were sitting around a table with big glasses of vodka grumbling about, you know, what are we going to do now, comrade, you know. Um, now, we don't know what we've got over there. Maybe we've got, um, you know... Uh, uh, a single guy in power as opposed to that sort of rule by committee. I mean, you know, something, a throwback to the czars of old, except uh, maybe he's got, maybe he's not as worried about uh, the future as a lot of those old Bolsheviks were because at least they, you know, can see down the line to a future. Maybe he's got some terminal illness and who knows what he's capable of doing as far as rolling the dice if he's not worried about his, you know, next 10 years or next five years. Um, that leaves us all very, and you know, everybody's looking at things like the climate and the changes that are happening there. Um, ice storms in Texas, fires in California, uh, earthquakes in Turkey. I mean, these things are happening all the time. But one of the gifts of our modern age is that we get to hear about hear it all about the time. It. You know, we get all these atrocities brought to our living room. We didn't get. I mean, to get the atrocity, the, the, the travesty, the catastrophe brought to your living room, it had to be Krakatoa, yeah. which resulted in the year, you know, the, the, the year without summer, right? Where the entire yeah. Krakatoa uh, island blew up into the and you know, we got a miniature version of a nuclear winter for a year. Um, that's how the globe finds out about, you know, Krakatoa back in the 1840s or whatever it was. These days... It doesn't just come to your house, it comes to your pocket. There is no horror on this earth that cannot be recorded and sent right to your pocket. I mean, 
we were pretty upset back in the day when Al-Qaeda would put up execution videos, you know. Uh, it's 20 years later, and we've got, um, you know, the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group in, in Russia executing deserters with sledgehammers uh, and broadcasting it. Um, you know, uh, we've had multiple criminals, uh, particularly terrorists, um, videotape and simulcast their uh, atrocities online, like the, um, the shootings in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, again, it's not just into your house. It's into your. It's into your pocket. It's into your phone. It's. Uh, it can be everywhere. Um, there's no escaping it. Um, it's the. Uh, it's the opposite of isolation. Uh, in some cases, it's that you're. You are immersed and surrounded and inundated with horror, and you don't have to look very far to find it. It'll come to you. All you have to do is, you know, look, and it'll be there in front of your eyes, drawn by the algorithm. What are, and, and I think you hit on a few, but what are maybe some advantages or challenges setting a game or a book in current times? Okay. They, um, uh, one of the things is that, is that connectivity. Um, the connectivity can in itself be a horror. Um, I think that in the two versions of The Grudge, for instance, they did a pretty good job with playing up the connectivity as horror, right? The yeah. ghosts in the grudge, the spirits, they don't stay in their haunted house, which was the first charming rule that they broke, you know, of haunted house stories is, nope, the ghosts follow you home and they will get you no matter where you go. But they can also do things like call you on the cell phone, ring your your, your doorbell of your apartment building, you know. Fly through your TV. Yeah, climb through your TV and uh, uh, was that the Grudge? I think that was the ring. That was ring. You're was right. Ring. You're right. Yeah, yeah it climb into your TV. Um, the whole thing with the videotape became sort of an exercise in what if spirit photography adapted to the age of video and digital. I mean, if spirits can make spirit photography, maybe they can put themselves, project themselves into that magnetic tape or that digital environment. Um, so the idea, and of course, you know, there's all the, you know, with all the pseudoscience built around ghosts and spirits and things and electromagnetism. And again, I'm, I'm a materialist, but I'm, I'm delving into the, into the, uh, the hokum to sort of find, you know, gems that I can polish and use sure. for my writing materials. Um, all I talk about like electromagnetism, you know, well, you know, that's all of our communications. That's, that's all of our, that, that, that puts, puts all of your devices, your computer, your phone, your copier, your printer, uh, your home's thermostat, perhaps your smart car, you know, whatever puts all that in play as far as the supernatural goes. You know, you don't have to have, uh, the crows, the ravens or, 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 uh, Damien's Rottweiler run out in front of your car in order to make you crash it like they did have to do back in the 70s, you know. Now, that could just be achieved by reaching through into your smart car's, you know, electronic brake system or, you know, power steering system or, you know, self-driving options. Yeah. Um, but uh, the connectivity, I think, is the thing that is the most terrifying part of uh, horror. And so you've got things 
like, um, oh gosh, what was it? The bird box had a little bit of that where yeah. if it's in front of your eyes, it destroys you. So you can't use your, I suppose you couldn't use your phone. If you saw it through television, the problem would get you. Um, uh, there's, um, gosh, there was a, uh, a really interesting, um, web series never went anywhere ultimately on YouTube. And I'm going to just sort of try and look it up here. Um, but it was, it was the idea of an apocalypse and very horrifying one at that, uh, built on the idea that, um, you know, everyone's wandering around with nanotechnology built into them. Just everyone's got it now. And, you know, you've got a, uh, you've got a, 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 pull down screen in your head so you can watch the sports game on the inside of your eyelids, you know, uh, anytime you want the nanites are all in there, you know, um, keeping you healthy and making sure you reporting immediately, whether you have, you know, blood sugars up, blood sugars yeah. down and what you're, you have this constant perfect feedback of data that's coming into your, uh, uh H plus was the name of the TV, uh, the, the digital series. Um, H plus, which I believe was human plus. Mm. So we're living in this new transhuman sort of world where everybody is hooked into the internet. You can call somebody from inside your head, you know. Um, and at one point, somebody somewhere finds a way to hack into uh, the nanites and puts out a system, an order through the internet that your heart should stop pumping and everyone dies. At least everyone who's rich enough to afford mm. this kind of technology or uh who's close enough to a um a uh, internet router right there's this whole sequence where a group of people shelter at the bottom of a buried parking garage waiting for the power to go out in their area so they can get out of the so they can get past all the areas in the airport that actually have wi-fi connection oh, okay because they can't turn off their they can't turn off their wi-fi connection um, in their body. Yeah. Um, or at least they can't anymore. They thought they could, but now they can't because of whatever technological thing has happened. So you've got this sort of story of people who have been, you know, the, the world just flips off like a switch and everyone's hiding out there. They're spending all their time, you know, with things trying to measure whether or not there's a Wi-Fi signal. And if there is, they have to stay away from it. Because you don't know what's on it, you don't know what malware is being transmitted. Yeah, um, that struck me as really nice and horrifying. Um, uh, the and, and sort of again, what could go wrong with connectivity? It's bringing us all together, and I'm you know again, yeah. you don't have to know much. Let's let's take our first piece of evidence: the Q conspiracy about what happens when you bring people together. You know, um, you get people storming the White House because uh, they're going to. Uh, what is the word? Trust the plan or whatever. Um, you know, mass communications, mass connectivity just means more options for mass hysteria, uh, mass indoctrination, mass radicalization. Um, now, mind you, those things are all pretty. I mean, those are all just social ills. Those are just political problems. Those are yeah. those aren't supernatural problems. But uh, most of the times, political, you know, horror and supernatural problems are just ways of examining those kind of ills you know what i mean um exactly so i think that the uh present times the biggest thing is connectivity if the problem if you 
one of my favorite bits that Dennis Dentwater told me about years ago, and this is back in the 90s when cell phones were just starting to become a thing, was having a thing where um, player characters are sneaking up on a warehouse full of thugs and their cell phone starts ringing. And the guards are alerted and they get into this horrifying shootout, you know, and then when they finally get on the get on the phone, they're going, who you know, find out who it is? It's, you know, it's this uh, supernatural villain that they have been sort of dealing with at arms. Like, did I call it a bad time? Oh, yes. You know, and I'm just like that 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 moment where it's like, yes, your technology is here to betray you. Um, absolutely, it should be here to betray you. Um, that that works very much in the current in the current milieu. I mean, we're certainly surrounded by enough of it. You know. So, other than than current times, what are some other time periods you think that are particularly right for for horror well again um i like i do like uh isolation as a as a horror element um and uh that isolation can come in in many ways i mean again i mentioned social perhaps ignorance is another kind of isolation. So having stuff sent in the Middle Ages, where it doesn't matter that your your character might be, you know, um, the Norman Baron of you know Cornwall or whatever, but he probably can't read. You know, um, he may not. He he may know only what he remembers in this world. Have no way of record keeping and live in a world where you know all he has to all he has to rely on is what he or his, you know, uh, or the, the middle brother who was sent off to, you know, uh, the Abbey to get a religious education and get it, get it. What they tell him is happening, what's going on. Um, uh, so, you know, his ignorance and his, his, uh, his lack of education make him just as isolated as someone on, you know, maybe on the surface of the moon. Um, the thing about isolation is, is that in some ways it always feels like we're midway between great eras of isolation. Yeah. Like air travel, near Earth, near Earth orbit satellites have sort of ruined isolation for us, or so we think. Yeah. I would dispute that. But what we really need for super duper horror is things like Apollo 18. I don't know. Have you seen Apollo 18, where it's about the moon mission they didn't tell us about? Yes. The reason why we don't go back to the moon. Um, it's got a lot of good. Apollo 18's got a lot of good stuff in it. And when shit's going wrong, what 167,000 miles from Earth? Yeah, it's it's not good. It's bad. <laughs> it's super bad when it's going. You know, it's going wrong, and there's just the two of you on the moon. Um, yeah. More uh, science but that's why I think Alien was so scary when it first came out. Because mm-hmm. it was this new kind of isolation. You are six months from home, and we didn't get we, we sort of stopped having that kind of isolation after the Age of Sail came to an end. I mean, still we're getting some of it in the the coal-fired boiler age of, of ship travel, but the world was a bigger and scarier, deeper, darker place with more terra incognita. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, It had more here, there be dragons. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about the period between, between the two world wars is that, um, 
after World War One, there is this sort of feeling that we have hit this sort of maximum technological development and horror, the horror of technological development. We, we, we got our gas, we've got our aerial bombardment going on, we've got uh, cannons that can shoot for 70 miles and throw a yeah. shell that reaches the lower, the lower Earth orbit practically or lower, touches the outer atmosphere. You know, there's all kinds of crazy technological things that happened during that time period. And there's people sort of had this feeling like, well, that's it. We've maxed out technological horror, you know. Uh, added to that, the, the whole, you know, uh, the, the whole humanity altered by technology. And by technology, I mean shrapnel. Um, you know, humans' uh, bodies mangled and rearranged and sewn back together into ghastly approximations of... of the human form um that got everyone's attention and and but at the same time there's this kind of this feel like the sort of modernism that uh, well we've we've we know all that we can possibly know we you know we've learned all we can possibly learn there is no unknown which is weird because that that's also a time period when there was a massive you know rise up in spiritualism was everybody had lost somebody if it wasn't if it wasn't world war one it was the spanish flu that came along the next year yeah. and killed another 20 million people. Um, that was a really traumatized period in human society, uh, the 1920s and into the 1930s with the massive, uh, you know, economic collapse around the world. And, yeah. uh, th- that, that time period is interesting because it's still right on the edge. That's, that's a time period where the map is closing up or so we think. You know, we're sort of opening vistas under the ocean, but we're really only penetrating hundreds of feet into the sea. By that point, we're not doing bathysphere stuff until after World War II, I believe. Um, but we're we're getting to a point where we're we're just beginning to crack open outer space, but outer space is still we don't know what's out there. It could be anything. Um, we could be surrounded by, you know, the Van Allen belt could just cook you like a microwave and, you know, just deposit some beef jerky back in the capsule when it's done. We don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Um, we haven't gotten to the top of Everest yet. You know, that's still out of reach. We haven't gotten to the bottom of the seas, you know. There's still huge terra incognita, despite our telephones and our automobiles and our airplanes, you know, which are many of the same things we have now. They're just, you know, clunkier and often attached to walls or require a hand crank to get going, whether it's an airplane, yeah. an automobile, or a phone, you know. You'll crank the phone to get the circuit going. Anyways, uh, or, or to ring the bell for the for the operator to connect you. Um, so there's familiar things in that time period. Um, but it's also a time period where uh, the terra incognita is still there. Yeah. Um, and so that that's kind of... Uh, it, it's an... It, it's an era I like quite a bit because, um, well, I like it for a number of things, not the least of which because I'm a huge fan of pulp and um, uh, that sort of two-fisted action adventure stuff does very well in that time period because yeah. you know there's no end of Nazis to punch, you know, and um, which you know always handy. Uh, and um, but at the same time, you know, it's always kind of you know, weird for me to to to, to try and reach into. Uh, uh, the pulp genre that time period because 
as a historian, I'm also well aware of all the horrors that are building up during that time period as well. So absolutely, it's, it's, it's a little hard to do sometimes do four color action adventure when I recognize that you know there are giant piles of uh, bodies just off screen in yeah. various places around the world. Um, and again, that's true of any historical period. But I've always been, I mean, and I'm, of course, I'm just very romantically attached to the original Call of Cthulhu settings. Yeah. In the 20s and 30s. I mean, Lovecraft wasn't writing period pieces. He was writing modern stories. Yeah. His modern was 1920, 1930, because that's when he was alive. Um, but it's a, it's a, you know, and I'm also very partial in time period that men could wear a hat and not look like they're about to utter the phrase milady. So I'm, you know, I'm really happy with the, the, the style, the aesthetics of that time period. Um, you know, our deco is just creepy as hell. Um, yeah. You can always come up with something terrible to happen in a building that's like built in the high art deco. I mean, look at uh, uh, was the building in Ghostbusters built by Evo Shand Evo Shandor? You know, there's a name. You know, there's going to be a problem with this giant art deco building built by Evo Shandor. So yeah, I, I uh, it's um. It's an interesting time period because while we are opening up things like physics and a lot of other sciences, um, there's still room for things that don't make sense that that violate the uh, rules of physics. Um, so you know, uh, the more we learn about physics, the more we learn there are fewer and fewer rules to violate. You know, yeah. so. Uh, it's more shocking to people when it, it happened. I think in some ways it's more shocking to that materialist, modernist, you know, very uh, rationalist time period when the, um, when the rules are broken yeah. than it is even now, um, oddly enough. Just, you'd think this time period would be more attached to rules, but I don't know that we are. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we rely on them the way people relied on them back then. Really enjoyed talking to you, but we're about uh, to run out of time. But I, I've, I've got to, got to want to ask you our, our signature question here. Mm, sure. And that is, if you could be in charge of any creative project, any medium, you didn't have to worry about money, you didn't have to worry about copyrights. What is your dream project? Oh, jeez. Um. Well, that's a that's a tough one because, of course, I you know uh, I'm addicted to long form storytelling. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't want it to be done in an hour and a half. I just, I just don't get two hours, whatever we're willing to sit in theaters for. Although I guess we sit longer now that it's all streaming. You know what I mean? Nobody's, nobody bats an eye at a two and a half hour movie because you can get up in the middle now and pause it. Yeah. Come back. But um, yeah, I, uh, I would want to do a TV series. You know? Okay. Of course I'd want to do a TV series. Now I don't know anything about TV series. Um, how to make them. Um, I would just hope I would be able to scream at people and then they would make it for me. Um, but I would love to do a TV series, but I think, you know, but that's sort of into the realm of fantasy, you know, and um, uh, oddly enough, one of the things I would love to be in charge of would be, I would love to be in charge of resurrecting the game Hollow Earth Expedition. Exxon oh, Game okay. Studios seems to have uh, sort of folded up in a lot of ways. Um, I guess maybe mm. they still have an active presence uh, as a, on drive through RPG, but they fold it up in the middle of a Kickstarter, which happens to companies, you know, um, mm. and uh, I haven't heard from them since, but their, their game, Hollow Earth Expedition, is one of my all-time favorites. It's where I get all my pulp kicks these days. Okay. Um, I would love to 
of course, you know, being in charge of resurrecting it would be very easy. I just have all the books reprinted as is, and then go on to try and complete their uh, their. Uh, uh, gosh, I don't know what it was going to be. It was uh, it was Revelations of Mars, and they were going to go on to do a book about Venus because they were expanding their pulp world along very Edgar Rice Burroughs lines. You know, okay, sure, there's an interior world of Pellucidar and the Hollow Earth, and it's all set in the pulp area, so you can punch Nazis and maybe some Bolsheviks too, but they they expanded their world out so they could have a John Cartery of Mars setting, and uh, eventually they're going to have a Carson of Venus setting, a la, again, mm. the Burroughs books, because everyone knows in 1930 um, that Mars is a desert and, and Venus is a jungle, you know, back in the days yeah. before the Mariner probes went out there and spoiled it all for us. Yes. Um, that is something I would love to, to, to get back into shape. Um, there are some projects that friends of mine are working on that I wish I could do more work on or be in, involved with. Um, but if there's a, if, if it was just a, you know, I, God, what's my dream project? Um, that's really tough. I'm just glad that I'm doing Delta Green. Um, okay. So now as long as I'm doing Delta Green, that means that I don't have to invent it again or help yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I'm doing that. Um, I just got something done for, you know, did a little work on a Twilight 2000 project that's going to be for the, you know, the modern fourth edition of Twilight 2000. So I'm very okay. happy about that. Um, you know, and I, uh, I even got the little writing for, um, the, uh, ubiquity system, which is what Hollow Earth Expedition uses as its mechanics. And there's, they're at least around enough that 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 mechanic got picked up by whatever German company was republishing uh, Space 1889. Okay. Uh, another really fantastic, you know, sort of four-color action-adventure yeah. you know, uh, game of the steampunk before we called it steampunk, back when yeah. it was called Victorian science fiction. Um, you know, all that stuff is wonderful. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I don't know, dream projects. Dream projects would be, shoot, man, I just like to get some time to play some more of my games with my friends. That's what I'd like to get to do. Yeah. You know, not be cooped up with uh, COVID or not be able to go to conventions the way I used to. You know, I my dreams have gotten very prosaic and very um yes. uh, 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 was modest in, in recent years. I, I I am not at the stage of my life where I want to build a volcano base. You know. And stock it with, you know, sharks with freaking laser beams on their heads. I, I just, you know. Nah, I'll never outgrow that phase. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, would be, my, my dream project uh, would be, you know, work on the stuff that I like, uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, and be able to close the box on some of it. So get some get that stuff done. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to make pulp more of a thing. I know that it's probably sure. never going to be because things like Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow didn't make it and the Indiana Jones stuff is sort of creaking along as best it can and the mummy sort of petered out but yeah. every once in a while we go back to remembering how cool those suits and fedoras looked and you know um, how cool those cars were and um, you know how much fun it is to punch Nazis and uh, we get a little more pulp you know Yeah. Um, so that's uh, I guess that's the, if I have a dream project I'd I want to do something with pulp. Okay. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and we will have to have you on soon again. I will always come back. Who knows? Maybe we'll have finally have an actual, you know, something a little less modest. Maybe my megalomania will have resurfaced. Oh, excellent. 
and I will have some something that I really want to work on. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Dave and DB go to the movies. Dave and DB go. Hey, Dave, we are talking about a movie. Yes, we are. So this movie and uh, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about it right now. Um, this is this is a favorite of mine when I was younger. This is a, a movie my brother and I used to watch when I was in my 20s. Because it was a favorite comic book of ours. And that is Hellboy, the 2004 film. I had a Hellboy lunchbox. I'm I'm not joking. I had a Hellboy lunchbox that I bought in like 2000, not uh, 1990 something. I've had two Hellboy lunchboxes actually. One the handle fell off of. I've had two different Hellboy lighters, Zippos. Um, yeah, I I've got Hellboy art books. I I quit collecting Hellboy probably around like. 2009 2010 but yeah for about a decade there i i collected hellboy pretty strong like like some people collect batman but yeah oh cool Mm -hmm. so so what do you think the hellboy rotten tomato score is oh goodness um i know that i like hellboy but i don't know how much other people like hellboy i'm gonna give it a 65 is what i guess so audience is 66 oh cool critics is 81 well, yeah, I, I, I remember uh, years ago going to the bar that I hung out with with my friends and I was sitting there reading without my friends, waiting for friends to show up. And this guy was talking to another guy. Uh, I can't stand that Hellboy movie. And I got mad and I left. And then uh, like two years later, three years later, four years later. One of my friends and uh, previous guest, Heather uh, Anderson. Uh, yeah, her, she, she married that guy. And <laughs> I thought it was so funny that, that uh, my friend Scott, you know, 
said something about Hellboy, and I was so like, oh, I can't believe someone said something bad about Hellboy that I had to get up and leave a room before I said something rude. You, you but, know, I honestly thought you were going to tell me. Then it turned out he was a time traveler, and he was actually talking about the <laughs> David Harbour Hellboy, which honestly, it's not as good as the Del Toro movie. I like the 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 relaunch. I, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I haven't. I, I, I've seen uh, the first and second Hellboy movie. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see anything else Hellboy related. So there are two really great companion pieces. Okay. And those are Hellboy animated. Okay. I think with, I have seen those. Yeah, with the still has the same pretty much voice cast. Yeah. Little bit of change. Uh, one takes place in. Uh, one of them uh, takes place in like Romania, and the other takes place in uh, Japan. But they are actually, if you're cool with animation, they're as good as the first movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I have seen those, and those are tremendous, tremendous films. And um, there, there, there is a uh, I, I want to say unofficial uh, third Hellboy movie. Uh, featuring Doug Jones in a uh, fish person suit called The Shape of Water. Okay. <laughs> well, it is Del Toro. Um, it is although... Doug Jones in a fish person suit, so I think it's unofficially a Hellboy sequel or prequel. I haven't seen and, it yet. I haven't seen it uh, yet. You haven't seen it? It's an excellent movie. Oh, I understand it is. I understand it is. The The fish creature in that is not Abe Sapien. Okay. It's it's it, it, it maybe it's Abe's cousin. All right, Doug Sapien. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's see. 1944. Grigory Rasputin, who I thought last I checked had been shot, stabbed, poisoned, and drowned. Um. Is 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 uh, hanging out with Nazis off the coast of Scotland, trying to uh, summon something called the Ogdru Jihad, which help is very uh, Lovecraftian. Allied forces, yeah, super Lovecraftian. Got that yeah. going on. And then, and you know, for the people who haven't seen it, and I, I doubt many people listening to this. You know that are interested in it haven't seen it. It really is a great movie. There, there will be spoilers. Yeah. And yeah, the, so the the, yeah. the film takes a lot of its inspiration from the Seat of Destruction. Yes. Um, and which I have to say, if you have not found Red uh, Hellboy Seat of Destruction, it is the first Hellboy miniseries published by Dark Horse. It's amazing. I have a battered copy with, I, I think, like, the, the cover's torn on the back. Uh, it's got coffee stains, orange juice spills, and probably been used to smash a lot of bugs. That's a sign of love. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, um, I have to say, this, this movie um, is great. It starts off with Nazis being bad at being Nazis. And the allies doing the ally thing, showing up, stopping the Nazis just in time. And, and very dramatic. I mean, the, uh, arguably, mm -hmm. 
that's the best scene. Yeah. And, and the rest of the movie's good. Yeah. But yeah, you have the police. I mean, not police, but you have the the the, the army rangers and a young doctor broom uh, sweeping in. You know, throwing hand grenades and and uh, uh, Rasputin gets sucked into a portal. Yeah. Um, it it's it's very it, it's a great scene. And if you're gonna do some sort of Octoon Cthulhu, mm-hmm. uh, must read. Must yeah. must. Must read, must watch. Definitely, definitely. Uh, there's like uh, gross Nazis like uh, Lisa von Hauptstein and uh, Uberstrom von Führer Kopf Rept Krona, uh, who is terrifying. <laughs> yes, and he's a lot different than he is in the book. Yeah, in the book he's just this 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 Nazi who wears a gas mask everywhere. Um, Del Toro turns him into a bloodless, uh, ageless, like human android kind of guy with knives that stick out of his arms. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah he's a he, he's a great villain. Oh my god, he's terrifying. And then it's it's like terrifying until you go, well, okay, you you just got to make sure that no one turns his clockwork stuff. Just throw yeah. him in a box, nail it shut, put it next to the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly. <laughs> or throw a giant clock on him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, but yeah, no. So, uh, so, so I got I got a question for you. Yeah. And in spirit, I think the Hellboy movie is very, very closely follows the Hellboy comics in spirit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some stuff with Hellboy and Liz Sherman that I, I, I'm like, well, you know, movies at this time and movies still this time, you, you need to have a love interest, you need to have this and you need to have that, or people are going to be like, you know, like a superhero film, you need to have those certain things until they decided that you don't need to have those certain things and you can have a loveless protagonist that you don't need to declare. They're not gay. I mean, it's 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 a devil person. It's like we don't even know if Hellboy has gender. It doesn't matter. There's no need for a love interest. The love interest with the FBI agent John John Mayer. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, John. You know, uh, the love triangle was dumb. There's a love triangle in it. Spoilers. Uh, I I think it would have been more interesting if it was like Abe Sapien. Liz Sherman and the FBI agent because Abe Sapien lives in water. Liz Sherman has fire. FBI agent with all this stuff is a fish out of water. So you have this kind of like, you know, it's like, oh man, I, 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 I'm competing with a fish, you know, you, you get that kind of stuff, but I don't and, know. And, and we see a little bit of, we see a little bit of that in the comics. Yeah. I'm not in the comics, not in the comics, in the, the animated. Yeah. Yeah. But um, which I, which I, I like and I agree I I don't think that the you know I don't I like the Liz yeah. Hellboy brother sister we grew up together in the comic books more but yeah the one other thing that I think that they changed or which they did which they did change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was that in the comic books he pretty much acts out in the open. Yeah. Where it's a clandestine 
sort of to make it more like our universe. Uh, uh, I think that I think that's why they did it. But what are your thoughts about it being uh, in this universe or being a secret organization as opposed to like a a well-known semi-government agency? Okay, so in the Christopher Golden books, uh, BPRD is kind of like this, you know, they they do interviews on TV and Hellboy's on like, been on covers of magazines, but you know, used to be like World Weekly News, now it's Newsweek and you know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel that way about the comic books so much. I feel like they work out of the third floor in a crummy building somewhere. Um, Maybe the roof leaks. Uh, maybe the toilet doesn't doesn't get fixed as fast as it should, and they have to go use the Greek place around the corner for the bathroom. Um, I'm not pulling from comics. I'm pulling from like own personal. Like their job is to find this stuff, but also their job is a lot of paperwork, a lot of research, and I I, I always felt like the uh, BRPD. Um, or yeah whatever it's called mm -hmm. uh should be treated like kind of a schlubby office it's 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 not mundane it's not mundane but it's a secret organization it doesn't get the best resources it gets resources and then everyone has to like pull in favors it's like bprd or if you're going to do a game like this BPRD ends up working with other agencies elsewhere. Like, okay, so, well, you have people who can do stuff without getting shot or dying. So can you have your big red guy run in there and pull our people out? And then we'll give you X amount of money for your little black ops program. And they're like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, it's like, can your fish man uh, attach this bomb to something? <laughs> <laughs> And, and yeah, no, absolutely. So like he's working with the FBI. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Like Hellboy works with other government agencies. He's out in the open. And it's like in the comic book, it feels like uh, people are kind of like, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you from like the 70s. You were a big, you know, you you were shocking then. And it's like now Catholic priests, small right. children, and like people who don't get out very often are like shocked and amazed when they see Hellboy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and I think I liked it. I think I liked it better mm -hmm. when it's not this secret society type thing. Yeah. The Secret Society stuff is fun. It makes sense for a movie. You can uh, give reasons why everyone has to be secrety and sneaking around stuff. And, you know, it also gives you a reason to be like, oh, we have to do this in the middle of the night. That's why the streets are empty in this uh, town in uh, this in uh, uh, in Prague that we're filming for Chicago or New York or whatever they were doing. Uh, but, yeah. Um. <laughs> And, and and speaking of uh, the Lost Army, uh, the Christopher Golden book, yeah. I've always assumed that that is the the lost city from the Lovecraft stories. Or oh, at least based yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. As as this this uh, segment 
becomes less and less about how much we liked the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the novels are pretty good. Uh, I read a bunch of them and then gave them to my brother to read. And I have read a ton of the comics, um, like the old panels in Dark Horse Presents. I think those have been reprinted in books that I've read. Um, the TV show, uh, the, the movies, the cartoons. Um, the second movie wasn't as good. I don't think we're going to cover the second movie so much. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't but... bad. And it, it was more like Hellboy goes to the, uh, Hell, Hellboy deals with the Sealy court. Yeah, it was much more a urban fantasy where the original Hellboy movie was um, Lovecraft dark super, dark superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dark superhero, Lovecrafty adventure. Um, yeah, like like uh, kind of like action packed horror where the horror doesn't come from whether or not everyone's going to get out. It's whether or not the other people with superpowers are going to win. You know, it's 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 like, well, Hellboy's not going to get smashed by the behemoth. I mean, like, he'll just like throw a thing of grenades into its face and punch it in the stomach, say something cool and light a cigar and catch a cat and be like, uh, why is my days always like this? You sons of bitches or something far more Hellboy than what I just said. I, but, I, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's uh, you know this one's like the, this this particular movie is very cosmic horror. Even though Hellboy is not your Lovecraftian protagonist, no. uh, he's he's more like if um, I want to say if Robert E. Howard was asked to write a Devil Man character. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, absolutely. Oh, he punches. He punches Shoggoths in the face. Says <laughs> he'll yeah, give absolutely. a Shoggoth twelve black eyes. <laughs> and, and I think another thing that I'm not. I don't think that Lovecraft would have. Maybe he would have uh, gone into it and chat, but maybe not even Howard. You know that this. The Hellboy is more human than the humans. Yeah. He's more humane than a human. Sure, he's sure. crusty. He's broken hearted. He yeah. has this strenuous father son dynamic to more than one father. Yeah. But he's also very human. Yes. In, in the good ways. Yeah. I, I think because of the fact that he has seen uh, reflected back at him uh, the best and the worst of humanity, uh, he, he can choose. I mean, everyone expects him to be uh, some sort of, like, bad dude, uh, and it doesn't really help that, uh, you know, um, he is Anug Un Rama, uh, the uh, right hand of doom. But Which is a... Robert E. Howard title. Yeah, yeah, I'm which is a Robert E. Howard title. And um yeah, no, no, it's 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 like you have someone who's like this big badass of hell who gets pulled through by Nazis and then trained by the US government to fight monsters and chooses to be a good guy 
because he likes pancakes, if you're going with the comic books. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, yes. Yeah, cats and pancakes, that's what Hellboy is all about. And, and, and you I see think, those in the movie. They don't yeah. explain it, but you see those in the movie. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... If if you've read earlier scripts of this movie, they had Hellboy living in a cage. Um, he was he was like a monster that they released, but then like everyone got mad about it, and then people were like, "You better not make this movie unless Ron Perlman's Hellboy. You don't make a movie without Ron Perlman being Hellboy. Hellboy was designed after Ron Perlman. Damn it!" <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember at the time before they cast him, uh, Vin Diesel was actually very interested in it. Yeah, but I yeah, can see and I, I believe everyone was like, "Shut up, Vin Diesel! Ron Perlman's gonna do it." Yeah, and, and I like, <laughs> I like the David Harbor interpretation. Yeah, but no, it, it, Perlman by far is is the per was a perfect choice. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Vin Diesel would have been good for like an FBI agent that gets shot in the first thirty uh, seconds. He would have he he been good if we had nothing else to compare it up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. But then as soon as, like, someone else made a Hellboy movie, it would have been like, ugh. This is, like, a Batman that people don't like now. But I, I think... Val Kilmer Batman? Well, there, there's people who love Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah. Anyway, that's not me, but hey. So what is your favorite part of the movie? My favorite part of the movie is the makeup, the designs, the the, the monster designs, the the um, like. I really love the design work in this film, how it makes you feel like these creatures can be these elder things that there is there is this this uh, seven in heaven, uh, uh, seven in the sky. Uh, Ogdu Jihad, and you know, yeah, it's 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 like the apparatus that uh, Rasputin has on his arm, that uh, is like a technical version of Hellboy's uh, glove or gauntlet. It's 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 really cool, just like the special effects, and it wasn't heavy in CG because it wasn't. It was 2004 when it came out, mm -hmm. so there was a lot of practical effects in it. And I, I, I think they did a hell, pun intended, did a hell of a job. And they did a hell of a job recreating the, the comic book. Uh, Mike Mignola who, uh, Mignola, who does an amazing job, has always done an amazing job drawing Hellboy, uh, done an amazing job writing it when other people are doing stuff with it and just kind of like watching over Hellboy, hopefully. Uh, Dark Horse, whoever's doing it nowadays, um, it's it's great, and it's a great world in general. Absolutely. And if you want to role-play in that, there is a, not a GURPS, but a Powered by GURPS, and all that means is that you get the GURPS light rule. Yep. Uh, Hellboy, which is a great game. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I played that It's a great source if you're not playing games, but you want more information on that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, um... It wouldn't be too hard if you're playing an RPG of any sort or yeah. a fantasy RPG. Uh, to it, it wouldn't be too hard to make a tiefling character that's like Hellboy or a Dragonborn that has Hellboy-like tendencies. I mean, it's it's Hellboy's what 
if if you're gonna say Hellboy was any kind of class, what would you say Hellboy is? Um, I would say fighter, maybe with some rogue skills. Okay. Tempted to almost go barbarian. Ah, see, I'm thinking what Hellboy is is a ranger. Okay. A ranger who specifies in hunting like uh demons, like and... demons and fey. Like there's certain things Hellboy is not well versed at, but other things that he's just like grab it, smash it around, step on it, yell at it, and then, you know, figure out what to do with it. But then again, Hellboy isn't really good at fighting monsters like Hellboy's good at being hit and other people figuring out how to take care of the monster. Yeah, Hellboy, it's yeah. a it's a running it's a running gag that he di- he didn't do his his homework. Yes, yeah. So I'm I'm oh, actually I'm thinking Hellboy would be a heck of a barbarian because yeah. I'm like thinking when he uses guns it never works out right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like the best Hellboy can do is punish something enough. It that it slows down enough that someone can run out with a book or a vial of something or a device or yeah <laughs> yeah no a- Abe or, or Doctor Broom or the, the they're they're the egg heads yes they're the glass cannons Hellboy is the meat shield so absolutely yeah yeah all right. Yeah, Hellboy. Um, if you haven't seen the first Hellboy movie, go see it. It's great. The second movie, um, I didn't like it as much, but it's still a good movie. I mean, it's it's like not liking it as much as the first Hellboy movie. That's it. I didn't like it as much as the first Hellboy movie. Yeah. Uh, the cartoons were great. The the comics I've always enjoyed. The secondary, the branch off comics, like the comics about Liz and the comics about Abe. And the comics about the other people in Lobster their Johnson. Yeah, Lobster Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, no, BPRD has a lot of great stuff. And Mike Bigiola in general. Yeah, Lobster Johnson, uh, Screwtop Head. Yeah, oh, I love Screwtop Head. There's secondary, I think it's kind of a different universe. But. Oh, yeah. There's secondary and tertiary characters in the Hellboy universe that have their own things going on. Um, yeah, Screwtop Head, I believe, is not part of the Hellboy universe, but there's 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 certain elements that I wish were, but they are a bit too fantastical. Um, but yeah, yeah, Hellboy's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. Even when it's dark, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, I think we've had a pretty good episode. We've talked about some fun stuff. Uh, we've talked about the Narcotic Manuscript. You, you, uh, we we talked to uh, Scott Glancy some more, and uh, yeah, we 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 got this uh, this Hellboy stuff figured out. Heck, boy, yes. Oh yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and YouTube. And thank you. Yes, and bye. Bye. All right, I got to go to the bathroom so bad. Okay. I'll talk to you later, Dave. Okay, hey, take care. You too. I'll send you the, the recording. Sounds good.